All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got a fantastic Wednesday morning show for you, including a, the possible federal travel ban. That'll be at the bottom of this hour. Speculation rampant in Ottawa this morning. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau set to impose tough new restrictions on international travelers. Could Canada require a 14-day quarantine period mandatory in a hotel when you arrive in Canada? How would this work? Pretty simple. You go straight to a hotel. When you arrive in the country, you don't come out of your room for two weeks. Drop off your meals at the door. Other countries have done it. Will Canada do it? At the bottom of this hour, we'll give you the latest on that. Right now, though, closer to home, let's talk about that parking permit in the city of Vancouver. The city, of course, has got their climate emergency action plan in place. This thing coming at you quicker than you think now. A residential parking permit mandatory across the city. Let's talk about it now with my guest, Vancouver City Councilor Pete Fry. He represents the Green Party at City Hall. He supports this idea. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hi, Pete. Morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on. So how would this work now? I mean, I know some people already pay for a, a parking permit in parts of the city, but not everybody does, right? That's right. So in my neighborhood, for instance, we do have uh, residential permit parking. Um, we do have spots where there is not residential permit parking, but I would say most of it is. And in fact, the city of Vancouver has a process right now where neighborhoods can uh, apply to have residential permit parking um, sort of through a through a plebiscite of the of the the neighborhood block or what have you uh, to better manage uh, street use. So in my right. neighborhood, for instance, we have a lot of folks who will commute in, park for free, uh, and then take alternate measures to get downtown. In fact, there's one guy who parks a very expensive BMW and then pulls out a skateboard and puts on a baseball hat and totally <laughs> kind of a disguise and then rides a skateboard in. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh- now, just to be clear, this is we're talking about street parking in the city, right? So you need a permit, like a sticker on your windshield, to park on the street. You're not talking about charging people to park in their driveway or a parking stall in, no, in, a, no. in a condo. Right. Street parking. Street parking only. Okay. So right now, for example, I mean, there already is some permitted street parking in the city. Like in the West End, for example, I, I believe you you had to pay what, like 400 bucks a year to park on the street. Yeah, I think it's 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 pretty expensive in the West End, actually. I know yeah. it's it's a lot less expensive in my neighborhood. And what, what the city's doing right now is just embarking on the public consultation piece. Right. So there's no decision that's been made. Uh, there'll be a report coming back to council, I think, by the end of 2021. But right now, it's about uh, engaging the public and talking about what it might look like, what are um, other cities doing, how, how, do, how do cities manage limited street allocation uh, for the maximum public benefit. I was talking to my brother about this the other day, and he thought it was hilarious because he lives in Toronto, and they've had permit street parking throughout Toronto mm-hmm. For a long time, um, you can't park overnight in Toronto without a permit. Basically, what if you got visitors, like someone coming over for dinner, or you got like contractors working in the neighborhood and working in a house? How would they be allowed to park in the street? Well, I think that's that's what we're hoping to see come out of this sort of round of public consultation, working with industry, and and have our staff come back with sort of sensible recommendations that obviously recognize, yeah, people are going to be visiting people from out of town or from another neighborhood, maybe having it, having drinks and leaving the car overnight. All those kind of various factors, and of course, trades working in neighborhoods. So it needs to be nuanced and 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 not uh, to some ridiculous extent where it's actually hampering just normal activities. But I think at the crux, I mean, this is wrapped into the Climate Emergency Action Plan, but it's really also about managing what is a limited resource in public space. Right. So okay. as more people arrive in Vancouver, as we find a lot of buildings are 
looking to not include parking because a lot of residents just don't own private vehicles anymore. We have car share now. We have bike share. Uh, the younger generation are many young folks just don't get cars, period. Don't get driver's licenses. Don't get cars. Uh, is it equitable and fair for everybody to be paying for um, really a use that is limited to just a few people to park their private vehicle in public space? Okay, let me, let me play this for you, Councillor. This is uh, Matt Horn, the City of Vancouver's Climate Manager, uh, speaking to our own Linda Seal yesterday, and she asked him how much would the permit cost, and here's what he said. What we're, we're expecting it to be no more than the cheapest residential parking permits that the city sells today, so about $45 a year. Okay, so $45 a year, but maybe that's just to start, though, right? Because I know the city's looking at raising a lot of money from this, maybe $15 million bucks over this, so would it, rate, would it go up over time, potentially? Um, you know, I think that's probably what we'll we'll see come in the in the report back. I mean, I would that seems rather cynical, uh, and I would hope that that it's not the the direction that things go. But I think, like any new sort of program and pilot, we're going to sort of test the water, see how it works, and if it's right. effective. And if it's not effective, um, then revisit it or increase the fees or lower the fees. It really would depend on on how it's implemented what? and what the response is. What is the purpose of this? It's to get people to stop driving cars? Um, for me personally, I mean, I, I know it's wrapped into the Climate Emergency Action Plan, and that's sort of the impetus for this, and it, and it, and it does recognize that, like, more polluting new vehicles, for instance, should be, you know, charged at a higher rate. Uh, but for me, it's also about, about management of a, of a public asset. And it's the same with congestion pricing and stuff. There's, there's only a limited amount of road space. We all pay for road maintenance, um, but we, if we don't all necessarily use it, is it unfairly advantaging some people? Is it unfairly disadvantaging other people who are who are paying for that infrastructure? And 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 the the cost of that asset comes right. through in a, in a variety of things, not just pollution, but also time. So it, the more congestion we have on our streets, the more it costs business, the more it costs commuters. Uh, what does that all look like? Where's where's the fairness and equity in it? And I right. think that's some of the important work that staff have to to do and come back with a, to us with with a sort of ascertaining of what right. that looks like. Okay, Councillor, last question for you. What would you say to people who listen to this and say, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, you're already whacking me with increased property taxes. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People, some people have lost their jobs. You know, we're struggling here and now you're coming at me again. What would you say to them? Yeah, and and, and that's a fair point. I mean, I, I know it's frustrating and I think where this is, again, this is a consultation period right now and when it comes back to council, those are some of the hard questions we'll be asking. Is this fair? And and yeah. and it's about it is about fairness and allocation. So of if people if people if the consultation process ends with people saying it's not fair, are you still going to do it? Well, let's cross that bridge when we get to it. I, I mean, it, right. like obviously nobody wants to pay more fees, but at the same time, if this offsets the amount of fees that we all pay right. to support private parking for some people and not not it's not equitably distributed, then yeah. then you know it's okay. fair for some, it's not fair for others. I mean, that's sort of the balance, and that's the the nature of, of what we have to do okay, and the hard decisions we have to make. We're following it closely. Councillor, thank you for coming on today. All right, Mike. Have a great day. All right. Same to you. That's Vancouver City Councillor Pete Fries with the Green Party there at City Hall. Uh, let's check in quickly with uh, Chris Sims, get instant reaction here, BC uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. Thanks what? for having us on. Thank you. What did you think of what you heard there? Well, I think your last question and his non-answer was the most interesting part. So if you're all democratic and stuff and people come back and say it's not fair, you're still going to do it anyway? And you wouldn't oh, say. Yeah. So why are we bothering with this little song and dance then if they're going to do this consultation well, I, and cost people money and time? Well, maybe what they're, they're trying to figure out how to, how to uh, 
you know, create it or what the rules would be or how it would work. I mean, they say that, you know, we're in a climate emergency. They want to get people out of their cars, right? And they're saying that the money that they collect, and it could, this thing could collect a ton of money, that they would spend it on expanded bike lanes, maybe wider sidewalks, get people walking, that kind of stuff, save the planet. Mm-hmm. And right. it's, it's also part of their little war on the car, because if you go back yeah. and reread that 371-page document, they include eliminating parking spaces even for condo buildings, even for electric cars. This isn't no. about saving the planet. This is an anti-car kind of ideological stance. Okay, but um, do, do you think it? Do you think it's unfair? You think well, they should not could, do it? It could be unfair. Well, frankly, uh, we're with you when you said, "Hey, we're really up the creek right now when it comes to expenses." Um, we hear from people all the time who just can't afford to pay anymore, and places like Edmonton and Calgary, for example, don't charge for their residential car permit fees. This is parking out in front of your house. We're not talking about parking downtown. We get that. But this is right out in front of your house. We also but it's need to only, keep in mind. But it's only yeah. 45 bucks a year, he said, potentially. What's that? Yeah, we'll see. And to give a good example, Ottawa is like $700 a year. Mm. So we're going to have to do a good good cost comparison here. But we're at the end of the day, we're always, we don't want them to get their foot in the door. So if they start with new parking fees now, uh, where does it go? How do they enforce it? Uh, which cars are going to get dinged? Which ones aren't? Where are they going to make that judgment call? So are they going to ding electric cars? Or are they just going to ding really expensive new cars or not so expensive older cars? Because that person's obviously lower income. Like, these are all major things. And how much are we going to cost to actually police this thing? Are we going to hire just, like, fleets of new parking meter maids? Like, this is lots of questions coming out of this, and it all sounds okay. expensive. All right, welcome back. So we continue talking about the plan for on-street parking permits in the city of Vancouver. This thing's coming at you probably later this year. As you heard from Vancouver City Councilor Pete Fry, they're in a consultation period right now, and then they will likely impose this later this year. So he said it could be 45 bucks a year to start. Uh, for a sticker on your windshield to park on the street anywhere in the city of Vancouver. Could go up later, though. They want to make a lot of money off of this thing. Don't kid yourself. The plans is $15 million bucks a year. You know, 45 bucks a, a month, uh, 45 bucks a year is not going to do it. They're going to have to crank it up higher. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Chris Sims is with me. Let's go to your call. Steve in Vancouver. Hey, Steve. Hey, Mike. Let's, uh, let's take this out of theoretical. I live in the West End. We have yeah. a permit parking from the city of Vancouver. Four right. years ago, it was launched, $70. Wasn't happy, busy place, let's try it. Just renewed $400 yeah. a year for two vehicles. Now, Mike, go to ICBC, get some vehicle counts. I did, did some napkin work here, 200,000 cars maybe in Vancouver. Right. At 40, 400 bucks a pop. We're talking $80 million a year. So this is not a theoretical concept here they launched that home mobility pricing scheme knowing full well that the permits were going to go in the rest they can play with this is a and it's an absolute travesty and people in the west end are happy and, and guess what vancouver welcome to who you elected okay thanks for the call well yeah you know, they're saying that not everyone will pay 400 bucks a year people in the west end are paying that right now they're saying that elsewhere in the city could be 45 bucks a year but chris your thoughts <laughs> I don't know if I trust that, uh, because yeah. these are the same people who pretended not to know how much they were going to charge you for mobility pricing. Meanwhile, the same people within Metro Vancouver and TransLink just spent $2 million studying the darn thing two years ago, and they knew full well what they were going to charge people. So they're playing really coy with the costs here. Okay, let's go to Jared on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Jared. Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, I just want to say I, I totally just disagree with this. This is a tax grab. 
where where I park my cars in front of my house, there's no parking issues. I don't park in my backyard because I put a vegetable garden there. I'm trying to be green. I need my vehicle to get to work. I don't have an option. I'm self-employed. I've already taken a loss and put COVID aside. This is a tax grab. Taxes have gone up two years in a row. And Mr. Fry's either misinformed or disingenuous. If somebody that doesn't live in your neighborhood is parking on your street, my understanding is there's a two-hour limit. And if you're to call yeah. the city and report that, they run the plate. If, they don't, if they're not registered on that block, they'll receive a ticket. Right. So you're saying that's working well in your neighborhood? We have right. no issue in my no, There's no in problem. Vancouver, none. We're, we're near, uh, near Riley Park. There's yeah. no issue. There's no issue with parking. This is a tax grab. It will go up if it starts at 45. I mean, what, what was it? 10%, 6% this year. I mean, if you put those numbers on that, no, it'll go it's up. not going to take long to go up. Yeah, they're yeah, coming I, to get they're coming to get you, Jared. Thank you for the call. I, I appreciate the point you raised there that there's not a problem with parking in your neighborhood. I don't think that really matters. I think they're coming to get you anyway. Blake in the West End. Oh, that's a smart lady you have on there. <laughs> she and yeah. uh, um, Pete Fry should go on debates. She'd probably win. No, I live in the West End, and there's mainly seniors around here, and there's yeah. no place to pick them up. They want volunteers. They got corona. They want uh, this. They have to be taken home, picked up, and care aids. There's absolutely no parking at all. They've taken the parking meters out, and I call them these tombstones all over the place. It is bad. And these people, mainly seniors, are not riding bicycles. They can hardly walk, never mind that. So this is a real bad idea. Okay, Blake, thanks for calling in. Let's squeeze a couple more calls in here. Don in Vancouver. Hey, Don. Hi. Uh, so I grew up in East Van, uh, you know, 20 years of my life. And now I've moved out to New Westminster. Vancouver is yep. becoming the place. You've got a lot of foreign ownership in these condos. A lot of people don't live there anymore. So what happens is you're, you, guys like me who love Vancouver, who come down to Vancouver to hang out there, to enjoy the scenery, no longer can do that anymore because it's just getting expensive. It's yeah. just, a, it's just it's a, like a money grab. And what are you going to have left in the city? Who's going to be paying for all these taxes eventually when everybody decides to scatter? Okay, Don, thanks for the call. Yeah, no, it is becoming a very expensive city. Let's go to David in Vancouver. Hi, David. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm good. You got a, we got a minute here. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm getting sick and tired of bike lanes taking away parking stalls. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, get, now, set, get set for more because they're going to use the money from this parking permit to expand the bike lanes. Yes, but how about uh, let's register some bikes? How about uh, get them to pay for it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. that one's that's one been, been around for a while. Chris, what do you think of that? We got a minute here. Just very quickly, uh, I think it's quite clear from what your callers are saying, there are a million reasons why individuals need the security and independence of private vehicle ownership, whether it's mobility issues or your age or your own safety, uh, your work time, you name it. There's a million reasons why. But these politicians want to change how you live. And if, if we lived in a little planned village in the Kootenays or something and they get to do this sort of Sim City thing with, you know, a few people... That would be understandable. But Vancouver is a major, teeming, busy port city full of people of all walks of life and businesses. And they're just trying to cram this ideological okay. template down on people. So it's, it's going to cost a ton of money. Chris, thank you for coming on today. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to the show. Here we go now with uh, new travel restrictions looming in Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau warning Canadians now to expect more travel restrictions in the near future. Here's Trudeau yesterday. 
we do not want measures that we have uh, bring it, uh, we're going to be bringing in to further restrict non-essential travel to have an impact on those essential supply chains. That's why uh, we're working very carefully and very diligently on the new measures we will be bringing forward uh, in uh, the coming days uh, to make sure that we are further discouraging non-essential travel, that we are further keeping Canadians safe, but we are not bringing in hardship around our supply lines. Okay, uh, Justin Trudeau speaking in Ottawa yesterday. You heard him say there that uh, restrictions uh, in the coming days here. What about provincial travel bans? Yesterday, Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister announced new restrictions in that province with a 14-day quarantine period for people entering Manitoba. Let's talk about this now with my guest. Dr. Kelly Lee leads the Pandemics and Borders Project based at SFU. Thank you very much for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to you. Thanks for doing this. What do you think about this idea of an international travel ban or perhaps a mandatory 14-day quarantine in a hotel? So if you arrive in Canada, you go straight to a hotel for 14 days. I know other countries have done that, right? That's right. There's all sorts of measures actually related to travel, uh, managing travel. Those are a couple of options. There's many more on the table and, and, and I guess the challenge is to find the right combination of measures that's going to keep Canadians safe. And, you know, we're, what we're studying is how these measures have been used all over the world. There's so many different variations, but we know by now what actually works. And so what people are pushing for is for the Canadian government to come in line with countries like Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan and so on, which have done very well at controlling the importation of the virus. Right. And... Right now, can't we have restrictions now. Currently, of course, the land border between Canada and the United States remain, remains closed. International travelers flying into Canada have to have a negative COVID test uh, before, their, before their flight. They must self-quarantine for 14 days upon arrival. What are the potential tougher restrictions, do you think, or that, that Ottawa is potentially looking at here, do you think? Um, well, it's first important to remember that our border has never been closed. And we've never had travel bans. So what we have are particular restrictions on who can travel and under what conditions. You know, the testing is one part of it, quarantine and so on. So there's lots of, you know, um, uh, pieces in place. But there's also still ways that we need to reduce non-essential travel and um, hopefully to zero because people should not be traveling if they don't need to. But to then um, make sure that the essential travel that's left over, the much reduced travel, is well screened, tested, quarantined, so that whoever does come into the country and comes into the province is is safe, that isn't putting it, people at risk. Right. So that right. there, there are measures that need to still be put into place to, to ensure that. Right. Speaking to Dr. Kelly Lee from Simon Fraser University, you mentioned that you've studied travel restrictions in countries all around the world. Are these type of restrictions generally effective? if you put them into place in the, in the right way. And yeah. what we've learned is things like timing really matters. If you're fast off the mark and you're, you, know, you, you hear about an outbreak, you have low uh, cases in your jurisdiction and you see that there's higher case, number of cases in, say, a neighboring jurisdiction, if you really move fast, that's very important. Also, you have to be able to secure all points of entry. It's not just focusing on air travel, which is what we've done um, quite a lot. And the land crossings, you know, in Canada are really important as well. So we have to look at all the different ways that people enter a country. 
And then finally, we have to put in place a package of measures. It's not just about, oh, you can't come in, because that, of course, isn't feasible. But it's, you know, when people do come in, what do we do? We test them repeatedly, um, not just once. Um, we make sure that they quarantine and we enforce that quarantine because it's no use just saying having an honor system because we know people may not quarantine for the right amount of time. They might quarantine under the wrong conditions and a small minority don't quarantine at all. So we, we really have to make sure enforcement right. is in place as well. Mm. Let's talk about uh, interprovincial travel bans here. And it's interesting to see a pro- what other provinces are doing. Manitoba yesterday announcing uh, a 14-day quarantine for people entering that province. Let's have a listen here to Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister on that. That this talk about the uh, vaccine being the cavalry is dangerous anytime, and especially when you see the interruptions in the flow of vaccines, it, it emphasizes to Manitobans that you can't let your guard down. So I guess what I'm talking about today is play defense. Remember to play defense now. We're fighting against COVID. We're fighting against the variants of COVID that perhaps our vaccines won't even work against. So we have a lot of reasons for caution, and some are speculating that restrictions uh, will have to remain for significant periods beyond this year as well uh, because of the variant uh, dangers. Okay, by Manitoba Premier Brian Pallister there, and you heard him talk about the variants of the COVID-19 virus that are now very uh, concerning, especially if they're more contagious. Dr. Kelly Lee, what do you think about that? Like the variants here have got a lot of people concerned. Does that make the case even stronger for tougher travel restrictions? Absolutely. You know, they've only come on, um, on stream in the last few weeks, if not a couple of months. We know they were on the horizon. It's a game changer for sure. We, we almost like to have to treat it like it's a new outbreak, like we're from, we're going back to square one. We have an opportunity to keep these new variants out of the province, out of the country. We've already failed in that respect. We do have cases here. The, the, the key thing now is to, is to stop more cases coming in and, and really controlling the ones that are already here. And that's going to already be a challenge. So if you think about you're fighting a fire and you still have these lightning strikes going, um, if we keep importing new infections, that really is, is, is hard to fight a fire that way. So um, that's the key thing. And these variants are highly, you know, much more transmissible, yeah. 20 to 70 percent more, and they may be more deadly. So if they get a hold in the community, it really does overwhelm our healthcare system. We've heard about flattening the curve. Well, that will go out the window if these new variants take hold. Okay. And would you say in, in that regard that Time is of the essence here. I mean, we already see some isolated cases of these variants in in Canada. In some cases, we don't know how they got into the country, but they're already here, some of these variants in low numbers. But does, does that make the argument even stronger that, look, you know, maybe we should have the tougher travel restrictions now just to stop any more of the variants getting into Canada so we can try and isolate the ones that are here now? Yeah, t- this was made about timing. You know, time yeah. is of the essence. I'm, right. I'm very impatient at the moment. I keep watching the news and hoping that the Prime Minister will make a, an announcement about the international borders. I would like to see our Premier um, follow in the footsteps of Manitoba because there's a lot to like about their new policy. They're, they're targeting everyone coming into the province of Manitoba by land, by air, essential, non-essential. This is a great start. So we are really under you know, a time crunch here. There's a window of opportunity to control these new variants. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really anxious. What about the sort of the balance of, you know, people are concerned about the economy. If we crack down too severely, does that really damage our, our, our economy and our ability to recover from this? And, and what about people's basic rights to move around the country? I mean, we do have mobility rights enshrined in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, on the economic point, absolutely. You know, no one wants to see more jobs, more uh, loss of income. It's, it is absolutely recognized that this has been a hard time for so many people. The, the evidence shows that if we, um, you know, in countries where they have really acted quickly and firmly about importing infections, that they then create this kind of safe zone or restricted area within which people can get back to semi-normality and then businesses thrive again within those jurisdictions. But the key thing is to secure your borders. Um, uh, And then what was the second question, Mike? Sorry. Well, I'm just wondering if, um, you know, you've got the economy on one hand, but then there's also just the basic civil rights that people enjoy in our country yeah. to, to, to move around. I mean, we, uh, mobility rights are enshrined very, very highly and prominently in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You're allowed to move around the country. Yeah, and I, uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah. yeah, and, you know, it's about not talking about bans because we're not yeah. talking about policing people. It's really creating disincentives so that people only travel if it's essential. And at the moment, we know there, that there are some people, a minority, are traveling for non-essential reasons. So requiring them to pay for hotel quarantine is is one option. There may be surcharges. There may be other ways, testing requirements to make it, you know, kind of not the time to travel. And I think that's the way to do it rather than this heavy-handed bans, which I think, you know, of course, it's going to be unconstitutional or there might be legal challenges, but that doesn't mean we can't do anything. So, yeah, there are other options. Okay, we're following it very closely. Very fast-moving story. We'll see what develops here in the next uh, couple of days. Dr. Lee, thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Mike, for having me. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about British Columbia's move to no-fault auto insurance now that's coming at you this spring. May 1st is when the new system will kick in. The B.C. government saying you are going to save a significant, a significant amount of money on your ICBC bill once they go to no-fault. Now, the way this works is if you are in a car, if you're injured in a car crash, you will not be allowed to hire a lawyer and sue for compensation unless, in some limited circumstances, like there's a criminal code offense like drunk driving, in which case you would still be allowed to sue. But in most cases, you're injured in a crash, you don't get to hire a lawyer anymore and go to court. You would get uh, benefits from ICBC under a schedule that they're bringing out. This cuts out the lawyers. The lawyers are hopping mad over this thing. They usually take a 30% cut of court awards in court cases. Uh, they're being largely cut out of the action here. So the government's saying they will pass the savings on to you. Now, the government yesterday rolled out a new website to allow you to calculate what your ICBC premiums will be under this new no-fault auto insurance model. So you go on this website, you type in some of your personal information, including your driver's license number and your vehicle plate number, and it will tell you what your savings will be. I encourage you to check it out. It's kind of an interesting online tool, and you can see what you think. Government saying the average driver will save $400 a year under no-fault auto insurance. Have a listen to this now. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, and you hear him talk here about this new online tool. He also talks here about the potential for refunds coming to BC drivers because ICBC has saved a lot of money uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic with p- fewer people driving, fewer accidents. They say they're going to give you some money back on that too. Here's Farnworth yesterday. Those refunds will be issued between May and July after enhanced care enhanced care coverage comes into effect. That refund amount depends in part on your renewal date and how much of your current policy falls after May 1st when enhanced care comes into effect. The tool is very user-friendly. All you need is have uh, your driver's license and your plate number. And as you use the tool, 
You can also look at how changes that you may want to make to your coverage will affect your savings and premiums. Okay, that's uh, Mike Farnworth yesterday. So uh, go online and just check that out. Is it kind of an interesting online tool there and see if you're going to save any money on your car insurance. Okay, the government has made a big sales pitch on this. They're saying you're just going to save you money when they move to this no-fault auto insurance. Is it worth it? Is it worth saving some money on your auto insurance if you lose the right to sue if you're injured in a car crash? Let's talk about it now with my guest, Aaron Sutherland, Vice President, the Insurance Bureau of Canada's Pacific Region. They represent the private insurance companies. Aaron, it's nice to have you back on. Thanks for having me today. Have you taken a look at this online tool, and have you have you checked it out yourself? <laughs> yeah, I did, and and I want to start by just you know giving kudos to Minister Farnsworth, to Minister Eby before him, and to the government for embarking on these reforms. You know because they're difficult; they require trade-offs. Regardless yeah. how you feel about them, there's a clear desire to improve the affordability of auto insurance. I thought you were I against it. I thought you were against no fault. So I wish they'd give drivers more choice. Wow. Uh, I, no fault, you know. I think comes with significant trade-offs. You know, you mentioned you're cutting out lawyers. Well, they're also cutting out your ability to seek legal recourse if your benefits aren't being met. So right. there's, there's always going to be that. That's what makes it so difficult. But I do think you know they do deserve some credit, at least for having the courage to bring these forward. Now, yeah. what's being rolled out today, though, and like let's not heap too much praise on ICBC's back because despite the fact that they've known that no fault was coming for the last year, they have been charging drivers as though it wasn't. And all they're doing today is talking about how much they need to refund you uh, because the, because of that overpayment. So this is a little bit, you know, they've been taking with one hand, they're giving it to you with another and expecting you to say thank you. I think a little uh, word of caution there. This is money drivers have overpaid to a certain degree uh, right. because they've been paying as though no fault wasn't coming when in fact it was. And now ICBC is simply giving money you've already paid back to you. Um, I would question why they didn't just charge you the right amount in the first place. Right. So, for example, let's say you renewed your auto insurance today for a full year, and then the no-fault system kicks in in May, then you would receive a, a refund for what you overpaid for the balance of the year because your insurance would be cheaper. So that's what they're talking about with the refund, right? It, exactly. And yeah. why not just charge you the right amount today? Think of all the you know bureaucratic costs that are going to go into getting you these, these rebate checks, um, you know, there's no reason they couldn't start charging the appropriate amount today. I, again, this is a little bit too cute by half in, in, in my regard, but, you know, yeah. at least drivers are getting that money back, and that's what's what, important. What about that other COVID refund that they've promised? Because ICBC has saved a lot of money here during the pandemic with fewer accidents. So the government had said, yeah, okay, ICBC saved some loot here, so we're going to give some of that back to BC drivers. What is the status of that? <laughs> that's the open question. Uh, you know, the minister alluded more news to come soon on that. I think that okay. can't come soon enough. In other provinces, drivers got these COVID rebates and have been getting these COVID rebates sometimes month after month uh, for just about a year now. ICBC, it's high time they got on board with that. By their own admission, they've saved hundreds of millions of dollars. It ta it's time they return that money, which is separate from this no-fault piece. It's a simple fact. We've been driving yeah. less. Our premiums reflect that. ICBC needs to give that money back to drivers. How uh, much? How much of a refund have drivers received in other provinces from insurance companies because of savings from COVID? Uh, so next door in Alberta, where you know drivers can shop around, uh, el eligible drivers have received about three hundred dollars on average so wow. far. Those savings are going to continue as long as the the impacts of the pandemic continue. Um, you know, but even the only two provinces that haven't given a rebate back that I'm aware of are, the, are two provinces with government-run auto insurers. One is Saskatchewan. The other is here in B.C. Hopefully that changes here in B.C. soon. 
Um, but I, I think it's one of the challenges of monopoly is, you know, there's no reason, there's no pressure for them to meet their customers' needs as quickly as possible. Um, we see that in, you know, a lack of online sales, how they treat their customers. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that again with this delay in ICBC giving people's money back to them because claims are significantly down. They've saved hundreds of millions of dollars uh, and drivers deserve a piece of that. Right, right. Okay, so online renewal of auto insurance. This is another one where ICBC and the government says, just wait, it's coming. We're, we're, we're going to get there. We're going to get to online renewals of your auto insurance. But, you know, I mean, this is like, basic standard service for most other jurisdictions i mean you can do like the you can get a mortgage online you can do some of the biggest financial transactions of your life online but you can't get auto insurance online in british columbia so when is that coming in i think they're talking 2022 Um, (laughs) 2022 okay something like you know it's another one of those it's it's almost comical right like you can do almost everything else in your life online. Yeah. Why hasn't ICBC figured that out yet yet either? And I, I would also question, you know, you can go in, you can get a, you should see your average price online. You can now see this rebate online. What is preventing them from allowing you to click a button to say renew online? Well, um, yeah, because you like can, this is just a stall tactic. Yeah. I mean, you can go on this website and it'll give you an estimate of how much your insurance is going to be under no fault, but you can't buy the, you can't buy the insurance. You can get an estimate, but you can't online, but you can't actually get the insurance online. Right. Yeah, I don't. Maybe they haven't talked to Visa or Mastercard to tell me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's because of the brokers. I mean, the brokers got a big piece of the action here, right? They're the kind of so middlemen. I do know I, the way ICBC is going to go online is going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be direct. You're still going to have to go through a broker portal. Uh, I believe brokers are still going to get commissions for that, even though you're shopping online. So it'll be a different online. And I think you're right. That's one of the complexities here is they're doing yeah. it all through the broker channel. They're not going to come out direct. You're not going to go to ICBC.com and get it. You're going to have to go to your broker and that'll loop okay. you back into ICBC. That obviously takes quite a bit of time to set that up. Okay. Speaking to Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada. So when we think about what's coming here this year, it's such a huge year here in the transition of, of ICBC. So no fault auto insurance, or as the government likes to call it, enhanced care. But I think you know it's basically no fault light, I guess. Some cases you still be able to sue, but no fault is coming May 1st. The government's saying you'll save an average of 400 bucks a year under no fault insurance. They also say they're going to give you a COVID rebate. You pointed out in Alberta, a driver's got a $300 rebate on average. So let's say BC gets the same. So you say $400 in your ICBC, $300 on your rebate. Like that's 700 bucks in your pocket, isn't it? I hope so. I mean, the devil will be in the details. We'll see what... So isn't, we'll that, a, isn't, that, a good, isn't that a good thing? I, I think it is a good thing. I think, though, again... The, and that's why I say credit to Minister Farnworth on the no-fault changes. I may disagree and think it's a trade-off that we should all be concerned about. And I, I wouldn't call it enhanced care. I mean, some of it is, but, you know, they're cutting out lawyers. They're also cutting out pain and suffering awards. Today, you get, you know, for a minor injury, up to $5,000 for pain and suffering. Much more than that if you have a more major, you know, catastrophic injury. Uh, as of May 1, you'll get precisely zero. I'm not sure that's an enhancement there. Uh, and also, if you're catastrophically injured in a car crash... And you're not getting the, you know, and none of us think we're going to ha- that's going to happen to us until it does. And if you're not yeah. getting the benefits that you need to recover, you don't have a lot of recourse. You know, they're talking about a kinder, gentler ICBC. That hasn't been the ICBC I've known to date. Many of us have known to date. Hopefully there's a culture change that happens there. Uh, but I think it's, it's too soon to say, 
uh, the verdict's still out on, on that piece. And I, I just say okay. proceed with caution on some of those pieces. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about no-fault auto insurance coming to British Columbia this year. My guest is Aaron Sutherland, Insurance Bureau of Canada, 604-280-9898 is the number to call, star 9898 on your cell. Ron in Abbotsford. Hi, Ron. Hi, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Sure. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I took uh, I took the estimator this morning, and uh, uh, even though my uh, insurance doesn't roll over until May, I took it, and it shows I get a whopping fifteen dollars back, what? and uh, and my uh, stuff went up. <laughs> I have to pay more. And I the last time I got a speeding ticket about five years ago. That's the uh, oh. claim or whatever. Yeah, but. But, hey, why is my, you know, I'm supposed to be getting a refund, and that's gone up. Well, do you think it's because of your speeding ticket? Is that why? Well, come on. One speeding ticket five years ago, and now it's at the bottom of Willingdon Hill there. Oh, speed trap. Yeah. Yeah, speed trap. Okay, thanks for the thanks for the call. Aaron, what do you think of that? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of changes underway. ICBC is also phasing in. They don't talk about it anymore. Rate design changes that are going to mean tickets accidents your age your experience have a bigger impact uh, on the right. premiums you're paying so right. yes no faults coming in it means apparently 20 percent savings um but that you know layered into that there's also all these other changes they're doing so it's it's going to depend for each for each customer and and um you, you know we'll just again everyone's going to be unique and i think that's why they, they put this piece out right so if you've got a speeding ticket on your record like the caller ron there they might whack you for whack you harder for that is that correct it, de- it depends i think for like a, a minor infraction like a less than 20k over speeding ticket it doesn't uh but if you have an excessive speeding or multiple speeding tickets then then it will okay ricky on vancouver island hey ricky hey um i call him quite often there mike yeah. i'm usually pretty heated you i don't know if you yes. remember me or not i, I do i do traumatic, yeah i got a moderate traumatic brain injury because the distracted driver hit me with his truck and I almost died. I've got, my brain was messed up. I broke my back. A whole bunch of crap went on. This is a joke. You have no idea how much work my lawyer does for me. And ICBC to say we're getting rid of the lawyers. No, 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 no. They're getting rid of my lawyer and their communist way is to say, this is how you would do it. Because trust me, I've put in requests for so many different types of therapy and this, that, and the other. If they don't like the question, they don't answer it. You can wait a year and a half before you finally get, hey, can I please maybe get a spin bike so I could try to do some exercise at home in this pouring rain due to COVID? Let's just avoid the question. We don't like that one. Okay, I'm I'm really sorry for for your trouble and what you've gone through there, Ricky, and I really appreciate you listening to the show every day too, I want to tell you, because I know you're a a frequent caller. the reason that they're calling this enhanced care, though, is the government is saying, okay, you won't be able to have a lawyer anymore to sue, but uh, we're going to increase the amount of money and resources that's available to you for your, for your therapy, for, for, your, for the, the spin bike that you want. You, are you saying you don't trust ICBC on that? Okay, he, he's gone, but I do appreciate Ricky uh, listening every day. But Aaron, you want to comment? No, you know, those are, those are the kind of, of concerns that, that are their most concerning, right? It's, are we going to see a kind of gender ICBC? Because at the yeah. end of the day, it's, it, you're no longer going to have legal counsel to help represent you if you have a dispute or disagree with them as to what you need to recover. 
if ICBC disagrees, they're the experts here, you're going to be at a significant disadvantage. And that's why, um, you know, my organization and just personally, I, I, I do call into question, is no fault um, the best way to do it? it? It may lower premiums in the near term. We'll see how long those, those reductions last. Yeah. Um, but it does come with trade-offs, and we just need to be clear about that. Right. Daryl on the line in Surrey. Hi, Daryl. Uh, we just got a minute. We just got a minute left. Go ahead. Okay. The question is: is if if you are hit and seriously injured by somebody uh, outside of ICBC looking after you uh, with this enhanced care, right? Are you able to sue that individual privately? In other words, hire a lawyer and take him to court in a civil suit for damages. Say they put you in a wheelchair, you lose a leg or something. Aaron, do you know? Just if it's uh, like drunk driving or or reckless endangerment, or things, things like that. Very rare instances. Right. Uh, no fault means exactly what it says. They treat it as though no one is at fault for that accident. It is an accident. It will. What about, what about distracted driving? What if you're seriously injured in distracted driving? Could you sue? I don't oh, think so. Apologies. I, I don't think so, but um, I'm so, not either. entirely sure. At the end of the day, look, there's trade-offs. These are the concerns we're flagging. This is why I wish they would give you a choice, let you shop right. around to see if you can find savings, rather than bring in changes like this. Okay. At the end of the day, government chose these ones. Kudos on them for doing so, but let's go into these eyes wide open. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me.